Welcome to episode 48 of Expanding Beyond. Uh, we are still not really back to our two-week schedule. Uh, stuff has happened, uh, life and anything related to that. So I guess we are now on a monthly schedule until we decide otherwise, <laughs> roughly. How are you doing, Monica? I'm doing well. It has been a, a good couple of weeks and uh, today was a beautiful day. So that always puts me in a good mood. So can't complain. <laughs> yeah, it's a really nice warm autumn day here. Yes. You almost yes. don't want to stay inside and record a podcast. Yeah, no. <laughs> then then I decided I will stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was supposed to go out with a couple of friends, but then uh, I uh, I had to record this podcast, so I couldn't do it uh, to I couldn't left uh, leave the house too late. Uh, and uh, the other one of us was on the other side of the st of town. And I was like, okay, you know what? I can chill. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so maybe so, we start with your topic. Today. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's self-contained. Let's put it this way. As always, context is king when I speak. So <laughs> as a friend of mine told me, everything is about context with you, Monica. Um, so lately we have been reworking our convention around JIRA and how we write things down. Part of being a regulated company is that um, you have to follow certain certifications. And as much as they are not really, like those rules are not really prescriptive, They just, for example, they just ask you to track your requirements. They don't tell you how, but you have to track them. So whatever system you come with, you come up with, it's going to be fine as long as it allows the auditors to fill the, to follow, sorry, that's what I meant, mm -hmm. to follow the, what is going on. And for doing S that. Side note, just yes. imagine it were specified how you would have to track that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. I mean, they say that it has to be written down and it has to have the name of a person that was responsible for doing that. Like, but still the framework is very flexible and you can come up with different solutions for fulfilling those requirements. So we sat down and uh, we uh, started discussing how best to do that. At the moment, we have in JIRA 10 or 12 different issue types. And each one is slightly different. Like, for example, we have a distinction between customer issue and bug. Mm -hmm. A customer issue is a complaint, a complaint that comes from the user, and it can and or cannot be solved by changing the code. But a bug is actually a problem that you know your application has. And it can be filled, uh, it can be filled by a user, but mostly it's something that you find a defect that you find in your in your application by mm -hmm. testing or whatever so we have two issues just for talking about bugs right so imagine the rest so there's uh there's tasks there's subtasks there's um technical tasks there's uh, user stories there's spikes that would have been very very confusing because guess what the auditors want you to have the specification also in, uh, or want to have a way to follow the specifications down to the code. 
And this means that you need to write some documentation. You, you need to write the business context for it. You need to write tests attached to that so that mm -hmm. they are next to what is supposed to be tested, et cetera, et cetera. So we thought, okay, let's try and reduce. Ultimately, what do we do? We have user stories. We have technical investment that can be, I don't know, refactoring or, uh, you know, preparing the work for um, the platform work for enabling feature X, Y, and Z, that kind of stuff. We have spikes because you do research. And in that case, you can be a little bit more liberal because spikes are not supposed to create artifacts in production code. Mm -hmm. Spikes are kind of like the precursor of a user story or a technical investment. And then you have bugs. So we are down to four. And that brought us back into uh, the conversation about, but what is actually user story and how do you write a good user story? So now we're trying to get user story to user stories to be readable and written as if they were gherkin scenarios. So mm -hmm. with a certain structure, but that is not everything that we do. There are also some technical investments and, and some documentation that is still ingrained in people to write it as if it was a user story. So sometimes I come across, or most of the times, I actually come across the what I would call a poor user story. Because if we remember very well, the in the origin of time, a user story is supposed to be a story about a user. But actually which user. So there should be a conversation about which kind of user are we looking at when we talk mm -hmm. about this specific chunk of work. And instead today, everybody, like literally everybody is writing down shit like as a user, <laughs> I want to pick up strawberries so that I'm not hangry. And nah, that, that, that's just bad. It's just bad because the whole point of user stories as if writing stuff in Gherkin and whatnot, like BDD and all that kind of stuff, is that we are supposed to have conversations on the actual why we're doing something. What is the business value behind this thing? Mm -hmm. And when you tell me something like, as a user, uh, I want the application to be performant, therefore, I want to increase the uh, response time of the database, it's like, what? What is that? Like, that is not looking at things from the user perspective, but it's not the person's fault, the one that has written that kind of story. It's just that we are getting lazy in writing user stories. So that's why I claimed twice this week that uh, user stories are supposed to burn in hell. <laughs> Seriously, I think we should get them out of the way. Like, we tried, there too, we failed. Let, just, just drop it. The actual question is why we're doing this. And we have to have conversations around those. So that is what is annoying me lately about user stories. Yeah. And it's probably any any new approach becomes something like this eventually, like, like Scrum or something similar. Yeah. It starts out well and then sort of it turns into something where people forget the intention or they just are not taught it or don't research. And then you have to come up with something else where you then can tell why this is better 
which in the sense of user stories is but hey you just need to write a story that's well written right exactly <laughs> and this is the underlying problem that stories are just it's it is actually just not easy to write stuff like that right i mean we have a quite a complex product with actually more than just one user mm -hmm. um we have the patient so that's the ultimate user we have the prospective patient this is someone that has not yet started using our product but wants to get into into it we have our um commercial customers so partners uh private insurances public insurances we have uh healthcare plans all that kind of stuff so there's plenty of users out there to be used there's even we have a care team this means a team of coaches that talk talk to uh, that talks to people so we have that user we have the engineers using our dashboard like mm -hmm. there are so many and yet when we write user stories we write as a user which user who are you talking about and i guess that's just the the, the smallest thing right to improve it but then yeah. you also need to write the whole thing in a way that's understandable. Absolutely. Yeah, oftentimes, sort of, I, I think sometimes I write stories, I mean, not too often because we are a small team, so it's, and it's fairly obvious what we are doing. So I think our stories are maybe not as extensive as other stories, but sometimes I have a back a section that I normally call background where I just explain the whole stuff, the whole thing, and then acceptance nice. criteria is pretty... I don't know, one or two bullet points because the actual change isn't that difficult, but you actually need to explain why we even need to do it. I said nice because that's actually similar to uh, what I've done in my team for a bit before we got to have this agreement on how we should write stories and what's the format we want to have. This is something that I experimented with also in my previous company because the technical tickets, the technical features didn't have to be user stories. So I literally asked the engineers in my team back then to answer the questions as if it was, you know, in middle school, we were given a few uh, lessons on how to write journalist um, journalism. Mm -hmm. So the five, the five questions, why, what, who, how, when, right? So I reuse those questions to, because that's, that's the core of it. Why are we doing this? That's the context. Like that's the business value. That's why you doing this is valuable. What that's the feature description. What do we want to do at a very high level? You don't need to go deep into details, but I don't know. I want to activate, I want to be able to track users in our landing pages because our marketing team needs this information so that it can uh, profile users and we can optimize campaigns and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the how, and that's where the technical documentation or all the other details that are necessary to bring a feature to life are, are going to be written. How are we actually going to do this? We need some design. So here is the design. We need some copy and that's the copy. Uh, we need, um, I don't know, what else do we, we're tracking something. Okay, which events do we want to track? Um, which other, like, this would elicit some uh, thoughts around the dependencies that we would have. Mm -hmm. What do we need to bring this to our users in the end? 
there's also the the when that's uh, by when we need to do this <laughs> that's a different story um so for a bit i use that and i see how it can be confusing because you need to actually write a lot if you want to really do that but i think it's it's an interesting take it's specifically if you have an answer for all those questions and we all understand what's written in there that's your definition of ready like you know what you want to do and you know how to do it and that's the definition of done if your stuff doesn't do that then you are off the mark yeah writing stories is hard <laughs> yeah it's really hard i i totally understand i mean I also, there were lately, not no longer than a month ago, I had to write a user story. I really didn't know what to write in there. Like, I know why we need to do this, but there's no, there's no way I can fit it in, in that formula over there. It's a muscle that needs to be uh, exercised. And often we delegate as engineers, we delegate this, this, um, this duty to the PM because they are the owner of the what uh, and the context, right? They, they need to help us figuring out why we're doing certain things. So then it kind of becomes their job to write those instead of being a collaborative exercise. Yeah. And then you end up with stuff that's misunderstood or, I mean, this is where this whole, instead of explaining why stuff needs to be done, you, uh, you, you already write the, 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 the sort of solution in the story. Right. And yeah. this is where this problem comes from. I guess, right? Because in the end, it has to be collaborative because you are, as developers, you are the experts in how it should be done best. And then if that's not done, then sometimes you end up with those suboptimal solutions. Yes. And by not exercising that muscle in that context, then when it comes to us writing down why we should do something, it's really hard for us to articulate. But the other day, like uh, we have a new PM, as I, I think I said it also in mm -hmm. a couple of episodes ago. Uh, and when talking about how to write user stories and who should write what and blah, blah, he said that in the past, he actually used a different, um, a different technique that is called the job story. Mm -hmm. And I found it interesting. So I investigated a little bit. And from what I could understand from it is that when when you have users that are not so different then you can actually skip the whole as a user because that's kind of like a given that's the thing i noticed that on in our in our team as well because there aren't that many different things we do there's always data coming in data going out in a certain format so that part isn't generally not that interesting for us. Yeah. Yeah. So now I feel, don't feel so bad for, for our <laughs> stories. No, it actually makes a lot of sense. The format is slightly different. So it gives more prominence to the action and that, so the job that is supposed to be, uh, uh, to be done. So to the action that the user is performing and then to the intention behind it. So an example would be like, uh, when I submit an order, I want to see a warning message so that I can avoid resubmitting the order. Like, it's pretty obvious that this is a user of an e-commerce. And guess what? There aren't that many users out there for an e-commerce. Like, it's just people that want to buy, right? So mm -hmm. when I submit an order, 
what I want to see is a, is a warning message. So the focus is more on what is going to happen uh, and describes the behavior. And that's, that's pretty, pretty much it. So it applies to all the users that you have out there. And it gives a little bit more context because it tells you about when this is happening. That, you know, like you might miss when, when you write it, when you write it as a user story. As a, as a user, I want to be shown a message telling me not to submit an order twice. And I'm like, okay, but when is this going to happen? What's the situation? So it, it's, it's a slightly different take. And I think it can be interesting to use when, uh, when you are facing this kind of like uniformity in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the user audience that you have. Mm -hmm. So sort of focus on the bits that are interesting, actually. Because ultimately, that's what we want to discuss. Mm. There was recently a comment from a, from a colleague that was like, you know, like I've been uh, writing these uh, scenarios with, uh, with the PM and they're actually quite difficult to write. Like there are so many details. And I'm like, that's the whole point of behavior-driven development. Like you describe the behavior. So you come up with almost all the possible scenarios upfront because with with such a structure that doesn't allow you to go to be really vague like you have to explain exactly what is supposed to happen and then you immediately think like okay but there's also this case and what about this other case and then you start building scenarios on top of each other and it's actually very descriptive it's, it's time consuming of course um but as i've been telling yeah. the engineers in my team uh, lately it's like either we have this conversation while we write the code or we have them before exactly there, yeah. there's no other way <laughs> sort of writing the code and then asking the question is even more time consuming and frustrating than doing it before yeah is it waterfall maybe but i don't really believe it's it's really waterfall i mean that's sort of i mean oftentimes people say hey agile, agile means we don't plan anything right yeah and that's also not what's meant by this it's just agreed you have a certain shorter horizon where you plan stuff with the uh, option of saying uh, not at any point, but in certain intervals to say, hey, but now we've decided otherwise and we are going to do something else. I think that's the main thing and not not planning anything and just, I don't know, doing whatever. Exactly. Like it allows you to reorient yourself at the closest point in time that you can. It's like, are we going towards the right direction? Yes, no. And if it's a no, then we adjust course. But this doesn't mean that you don't need a plan. Like you're planning to go to Berlin and there's, and there's a, from Munich and, and there's a deviation along the road. I mean, you have to take it, but this doesn't mean that you're changing your plan. It's just that it changed the times, it changed the places where you're going, where you're going to go through. But ultimately, the goal is the same. And sometimes while doing that, you also learn that actually, you know what? We don't really need to go there because if we stop place X, then we can actually see or we can actually have the same uh, the same experience. Then is it really worth it going there? Yeah, I mean, that's also what we noticed in our team. The, the time we spend writing the code actually isn't that big. But sort of we sort of um, connect our systems to other other uh, systems via their APIs, and most of the t 
time is for us is actually spent in exploring how their API works, how their system behind their API actually works, because otherwise you design something and it's not really true to, I don't know, how their system is actually behaving and you introduce bugs and there we actually spend our time and then together yeah. whiteboarding um, to figure out what the best solution would be. And then that's also something we internally had to explain to say, hey, why is it taking so long to do this? And then we had to explain, hey, it's not writing the code. We more or less roughly do the same thing everywhere, but it's just every time it's a new API and behavior is just slightly different. And until we've actually tried out stuff, we can't even know what the pitfalls are. And it's just, we now have loads and loads of Miro boards with stuff. And then yeah. writing the stories and implementing them, that's sort of the last, last part that <laughs> that needs to be done. Oh, yes. And that's also, so, and right. And in a sense, you could argue while we sort of build this API integration, we are more or less doing waterfall, right? Because we say, hey, we want to build this and we build it from the design phase until the end, but it's just weeks or months or mm -hmm. short number of months and then we're done and then we can switch to the next thing. So, but it's still important. So in the beginning for the first one, we actually didn't plan that strictly and didn't have that many conversations beforehand. And, and then it happens, you discover the stuff while you do it, right? Yeah. I mean, we still do because it's like an API and documentation is never correct or f complete. So you still discover stuff, but the more you can discover beforehand, the better. Absolutely. Uh, it's, I mean, the moment in which you know everything, it means that, I mean, that problem is not, is it really worth exploring? I mean, sort of our... And in the end, our estimation was that like we spent 20% on writing the code. <laughs> <laughs> All the rest is figuring out what we even need to do. It's even a way of, you know, like, do we as a team really understand what we're going to do? Yeah. And that, uh, the, the big word is we, right? Mm -hmm. And that's also the other thing we learned that we need to have all those actual meetings where we have a board and discuss stuff so that we are all on the same page and yeah. we know what we then want to build. So it all fits together afterwards. Because that's the other thing. Like if you want to build some redundancy in your system, there's also this part. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, again, you know, first project I was on holiday <laughs> and then I came back and I was surprised how little had actually happened. And because <laughs> I had it, this whole design in my head and we hadn't developed it um, collaboratively and that's just, just doesn't work. It's amazing. Anyways, that's my rant for this week. Um, <laughs> ultimately, if this tool is not really useful and it has become really just a, a couple of lines on top of actually the documentation that we're going to read, then just, just don't do it. Mm. Like who cares? Uh, it's a couple of sentences that don't bring at this point any value and then we should just not do it yeah i mean there's also a bunch of stuff you know, like it depends on the maturity of the team that could be a useful tool for a very young team that doesn't know how to do this and then at least forces the conversation if they are doing it um, but yeah on on my side sort of the interesting bit from the last weeks i would say was that 
sort of internally we have this big monolith and we are slowly starting to well we're not building microservices but we are sort of building separate applications that take over part of this there we 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 sort of did a lot of experimentation various teams did various used various javascript typescript whatever front ends node.js backend or ruby backend and for at least for the javascript part we wanted to discuss across the teams if we start a new one hey what would what are our ground rules what are the things we want to take for granted or in a way say hey if you want to deviate from this you need a good uh, reason to so we had the first meeting there basically from people from most teams and it was interesting to see how everyone came up with their ideas and again it was took a while to actually come to understanding what this meeting was even about right because uh, everyone comes there and has a bit of a slightly different exp um, idea of what we want to standardize and how much we even want to standardize do we want to ha now have hard rules that you cannot deviate from or it's just some kind of guidelines but the big one the big takeaway for me from that meeting was is that most people that were in the meetings were a bit afraid to actually make decisions maybe it mm. was because they weren't i mean it wasn't like wasn't like the whole everyone from all teams was there so they maybe felt a bit that hey i can't just make a decision for my team but i wonder if it's also a bit that we as a company are allowing the teams more freedom because at least on my team we more or less can do what we want our manager is there for one-on-ones and if we need him <laughs> and that's his involvement and I, even in our team it took a while for us to figure out how we can even make decisions but now you try to do it across team and now you really need everyone to understand how to make decisions and i guess it's also a new round right so you need to we yeah. have to come up with new with the set of rules by which we even wanted to make decisions. So that was what is an interesting, interesting uh, development there. So in the end, in that meeting, we didn't really make decisions. Mm -hmm. We just gathered ideas and had some very rough guidelines like, hey, let's use React and JavaScript <laughs> was more or less the extent of it. And then we'll have to see how this continues. And we ended up with a smaller group that is Let's, for the beginning, just go out and see what we even have already, right? Because it might just be that we are afraid to make a decision, but essentially every project we have is actually doing it, right? So yeah. there's then no need to even make um, make a decision if you can say, hey, but we are already doing it everywhere. So let's just keep this, right? I guess we, we noticed that what we, what we have to do is sort of dig a bit into what we are doing to figure out if if sort of some standard way of doing things has naturally evolved already and we don't even come up with a radical new decision we just i don't know go along with what's already in place what i was thinking is that i mean basically what you are doing is you had a, a phase of uh, norming with your team so you figured out how to collaborate together but now you're having another norming phase with a different set of individuals. So you have to rethink the rules that you thought you had agreed on, but the, actually the group is different. And uh, the problem here is, of course, it's a probably fairly short-lived group, right? Just for mm -hmm. a certain topic. And the question is, I mean, this is sort of the 
the mode we are trying to get towards too, that we do working groups like that for, for a topic. And the question is, do we maybe need some kind of ground rules for all of them that are more or less universally agreed in the company so that we don't <laughs> have to start in the first meeting again to figure out how we are even going to decide stuff? That's going to take a long time, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ideally, yes. That's what I also would would expect at some point that that would happen. Like there are kind of like there's an agreement on how we behave so that we can positively collaborate together, constructively collaborate. Yeah. And that's where where I find interesting that you said that you had no no manager in that session because I mean, we had our software architect, right? Yeah. So maybe not manager, but so, some technical leadership was there. What I'm trying, yeah, it could be also a technical leader or whomever, like, because the idea would be that, or at least one of the ideas that I read that, that resonates with me is that basically middle managers and line managers are the way that you steer a company towards a certain behavior, towards a certain, a certain objective. So more or less, we need to be aligned. It's possible to be the same, but we need to be aligned on what are the common rules of engagement uh, uh, in the company. Um, so that we grow people in the same direction, kind of. We, we kind of behave the same so that it's not that traumatic to move from, uh, from one environment to another, from one team to another. Yeah, and, and the more I think about it, it's also... Uh, there was was also no agreement, I think, on how. I mean, some people volunteered to be part of this this meeting and this group, mm -hmm. but I think it also wasn't clear if they even have the the uh, how that if there's a decision made, is that just the final decision or is that just something that's brought back to their respective teams and then the team needs to decide together and come back with it. I think the whole process is a bit unclear on various levels of how these things work right yeah but i guess yeah i guess it's a start and then we have to see i mean I'd, I'd rather start from this direction of having fairly little guidance instead of having very strict rules <laughs> yes it's just the other direction i guess we just need to move a bit towards it to make it more efficient in the future that's why i said ideally yes but i don't believe that giving people rules for behaving actually helps fostering that behavior. So that's why in the end, you have to always come up with your own rules and that requires time. Yeah. I guess we have to do it a few more times and then yeah. <laughs> see what happens. And there was this, this was a CEO I was listening or founder or something like this. I was listening to this podcast and he said, when, whenever he is meeting with the board, instead of having a dinner after the board meeting, he tries to have the dinner before the board meeting, mm -hmm. because during that session that it's actually a low key chill kind of session, people will connect with each other in a more human way. They will still talk about business, but a lot mm -hmm. of that alignment that is actually required to have a constructive conversation has actually happened in a setting where we were not talking explicitly about business. So in a way, it's kind of like less expensive. You get people mingling together 
and then you start talking about business. So there's already some some connection and some some rules that has been established. Underneath, we are all people, I guess. <laughs> yes, we all eat, we all sleep. So yeah, reducing the tension uh, that case can can help. And that's why I think it, it feels silly most of the times to have this, you know, like icebreakers. But I think they they still have a positive net effect, despite the goofiness of of everything. That's true. I'm I by now I'm also a fan of of starting a retro with some fun stuff in the beginning, right? It's yeah. always nice to do something not necessarily related to to whatever you're going to talk about next to just get to know everyone a bit more yes or just to vent about how bad the last sprint was <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> also that helps. also helps <laughs> um and another thing that makes me uh that comes to mind when you said that you you didn't took any decisions in this uh in this meeting One of the things, one of the rules that um, our new CTO has introduced is that we don't take decisions in meetings. So mm -hmm. we meet, we talk, but decisions are taken elsewhere. This means either a smaller group of people or we have conversations over, he calls them memos, basically documents where someone uh, shares um, what they think is a problem, uh, what are the challenges, what are the opportunities, and what actually we did good so far on that topic. And then there's a, there's a proposal. So it's like, okay, to solve this problem, I think we should do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think? And then the conversation happens as a series of um, back and forths on that document where there's a there's also a register of those intervention and the author of the of the document also decides integrating those suggestions or those comments or refusing but they have to give a why yeah what we ended up doing is basically like you said pick a smaller round yeah and sort of give them our list of ideas essentially and then they can and continue and go on and figure out what the next steps could be or should be. Mm -hmm. Are you going to document that? Well, I'm not part of that, so we'll have to see. You're free. You're a free man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what in my team is, we are just, just very adjacent to anything JavaScript related. Mm -hmm. So it was more like seeing what's happening more on giving ideas and avoiding some pitfalls and what mm. was our involvement more or less. But yeah, I don't think this will be the last this uh, thing in this direction we'll, we'll have in the company. And I guess we'll just learn and see uh, how to do them better. Yeah. Or maybe it's just the way it is, right? You have an introductory meeting and you just throw out all the ideas and eventually you come to a rough uh, conclusion and say, hey, this is more or less the direction we want to go. Details will be figured out in the, somewhere else, right? Maybe that's Frankly, the, I don't think it's that wrong. Like what you yeah. just described looks actually quite healthy to me. I mean, you need to have a kickoff where we at least agree yeah. that we have a problem, right? And how do we solve that problem? I think we all need still need to learn, or maybe it's just me that I need to learn that that stuff takes time. <laughs> yes, you have to be right. patient. It's just, it's going to take you rounds of figuring it out. And it's in the end probably better to spend some more time on it 
yeah. and come up with something not rushed, essentially. I mean, even if the solution is obvious, you still need to have agreement on the fact that that solution is the right solution for, or is the solution we agree for the problem we have and that we have that problem. Mm. Um, very often I heard, I mean, it was a completely, um, like it was an objection that was completely legit to be made. It was like, why do we need to do this? Because from that person perspective, that was not a problem. Mm -hmm. But then by sharing why we should do that, the, the perception shifts and it's like, okay, I, I don't have the need for it, but I see that you need it and therefore then it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's that's the main main part that everyone needs to be aligned on why we even do stuff. And then, then coming up with the solution is sometimes obvious or the next step. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we rush ahead and think everyone has the same context that we have. That's true. Yes. And sometimes they are also right and that is not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I mean, I of more or less more, I experienced that more on the level of a pull request for me to fix something. And then someone asks, why do you even want to do this? Because this and this. Yeah. And then I guess there's a reason is, why the fence why. is yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. It is. Even if you're experienced, it is sometimes easy to just go down, down some rabbit hole. And then yeah. the actual solution is to actually do nothing. <laughs> or someone else is doing something and you don't know. And that's yeah. another can of worm. I guess that's it for today. I now have some fire making to do, I guess. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how it works with some um, wood from the uh, from the outdoors. That's maybe not super dry. Let's see. Definitely not super dry, given how much it rained the other day. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. And we need to close all windows and doors. So that's at least indoors isn't super smoky. <laughs> oh, Yes. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> Where people can find you. Um, people can find me on Twitter as UJH and I guess nowhere else <laughs> these days. <laughs> you can also, uh, I think the best would be actually to email us at hosts mm -hmm. at expandingbeyond.it. Uh, we are very happy to receive any kind of feedback or topic suggestions or any questions you have. I think we love discussing other people's problems as well. <laughs> yes. And Monica, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at uh, KFMolly with an I. And you can find me on my website at monicag.me, where there's a bunch of other places where you can look at what I'm doing. And everyone, thank you for listening till the end. And have a nice evening, morning, or whatever you're doing next. Bye-bye. Thank you for sticking with us. Bye-bye. <laughs>